listeners. We're talking to Malik Amrani, who has quite a story. Uh, he was recently appointed um, to the board of directors of the Napa Valley Vintners, and um, he is the owner and of, of, of the Vice Wine, which we've been drinking um, and much appreciated, Malik. Um, you have a, quite a backstory, uh, lots of lots of um, information to to share with our listeners. Um, Peter's been drinking most of the wine, so maybe Peter should start out asking you some questions. I'm allowed. The, the interesting thing you pro you probably have heard the the smart Alec thing about how do you make $2 million with wine in California? And the answer is you start with five. <laughs> Correct. So, so, what, so, what's your, so what's your story? Are you just crazy or what? Um, yeah. Uh, well, first of all, I want to say uh, uh, thank you very much for having me today and for listening to, uh, to me and my story. But um, we, you, yes? you've got quite a story, Beck. I've been, you, you start out in Morocco, which is not well. I mean, I, I, I learned from checking up on you that actually um, the the real reason you have so much knowledge of, of wine in Morocco is because of the French, right? Um, yes. Well, it's. Um... It, it, it really has to do with my father. My father really enjoyed a lot of wine. And um, he was a pilot, traveled a lot every single day to Europe. Uh, Morocco is very uh -huh. close to Europe. And, um, sure. and um, you know, traveled with wine back. And um, he encouraged me to start smelling um, and tasting wine uh, with him at a, at a young age. And... Um, that's how I uh, got exposed to wine, but certainly a lot of European wines and Moroccan wines as well. We do yes. make uh, quite a, a decent amount of uh, wine in Morocco. And it's, yeah, it's right up there. Um, I guess it, it, not as much as Algeria. Is that what I read? I'm sorry, can you please repeat the question? Uh, the, yeah, I mean, it's, it's second to Algeria in terms of wine production, right? Correct. Um, you know, that's probably older data. Um, I'm not sure nowadays, but certainly the um, since the 60s, <clears throat> Morocco's uh, wine production actually has been increasing, and a lot of uh, French uh, producers have been moving to uh, Morocco and making wine there. Well... And Morocco, by the way, I've never been to Morocco. I love everything about Morocco, and, and it was one of my mother's most favorite places to travel to. Um, oh. So, I, I mean, I, I've listened to a lot of stories about Morocco. <laughs> the, yeah. the other thing, I'll just mention this on the way by, the other thing that, that surprised us probably more than any other kind of wine that we drank was when we went to a... Lebanese restaurant in London. Yeah, and, Lebanon makes also a lot of wines. It's the, yeah, we, it's we, the latitude. We, we were surprised, pleasantly. It's the latitude. Um, a lot of people don't realize, but if you look at, for example, uh, Lebanon, um, 
and Morocco, um, like my city, Casablanca, it's on the 34 latitude. And 34 latitude is exactly the same latitude as Los Angeles. Um, oh, wow. Extremely similar climate, um, almost identical for Morocco and California. Uh, both uh, countries um, or both regions, <laughs> both um, you know, um, they're both facing a major ocean to the west, um, similar uh, trade wind patterns and um, very similar uh, uh, geology and fauna in terms of um, mountains and valleys and, um, you know, very, very um, similar. So, um, uh, so, so far, we established that the, re- the reason that you're making wine in Morocco is because of your dad. <laughs> um, he got so me to so, uh, so, start. So, we, so we, thank, we, thank, we, thank, we thank him very, we thank him very much since we're enjoying the wine he inspired. <laughs> yeah, I. Uh, it's funny because I speak to him. Um, you know, I try to speak to him once a week at least, and I just called him this morning out of the blue, and I just thanked him, um, thanked him for uh, getting me into wine again. Aww. that's yeah. great. Yeah, yeah. Um, the tell us the fill in the blanks here. Uh, you left Morocco and went where and why? So uh, I graduated high school at the age of sixteen, and I went to uh, Senegal um, in West Senegal. Africa for. Yeah, I went to West Africa for medical studies. Um, so oh, okay. I wanted to be uh, what well, I really didn't want it to be. My father actually pushed me. Um, <laughs> go be a doctor and um, <laughs> I, uh, di- I did a year um, there I passed my first year but I realized it wasn't for me I did not want to be a doctor and um, moved <laughs> to New York and um, um, you know and uh, decided not to uh, go to college and just uh, focus on um, working making money and um, learning as much as I can about wine and diving in into the wine industry. Uh, now, did you work? Are you the one that worked um, for Daniel Boulou? Uh, I'm so sorry. Can you please repeat the question? Yeah. Did you work for Daniel Boulou in New York? Oh no, I worked with them, not with for him. I uh, sold him. I sold him wine. Um, uh, between okay. the 2009 and uh, 2015, and multiple, a couple of his, um, um, uh, certainly at the at Danielle. Yeah, he's wonderful. We, he's just the life of the party. I haven't talked to him in a while, but um, it was, it, it's, yeah, he, <laughs> he's certainly a character. <laughs> But, but how, yeah. did you, how, did, how, did, how did you actually get into the wine? We, we, we understand you possibly got into the wine business because you sold wine. But you must have, along the way, beyond that, you must have learned a whole lot more about how wine is produced. All, that, all, that, all those kinds of funny things like grapes and vineyards. <laughs> yeah, um, well, what's your, you know... What's your excuse? It first started with uh, working, um, you know, at restaurants and wine bars and then, um, you know, becoming a psalm and selling wine on the floor and learning more about wine. And then after that, working for uh, 
a distributor, so um, representing a lot of different wine brands and traveling to wine country and on, uh, on a regular basis and um, you know globally traveling to different parts of the world and learning about wine and then uh, I started importing wine uh, from all over the world so um, getting closer to the to the to the roots of how wine is made and um, eventually decided to start making wine in the uh, most um, wonderful wine region on the planet Napa Valley Okay. Yeah, well, that's so you, for so sure. You, so you, so you picked Napa just because of the fact that it's such a great place to make wine. It's uh, the greatest place, I believe, on the planet to make wine in terms of soil diversity. It's got half of the world's uh, recognized soil orders um, okay. in terms of uh, the collaboration, the camaraderie of all the vintners, uh, there isn't a place, I think, anywhere on the planet that comes close to the to Napa Valley. And also, um, in terms of um, advancement, I mean, you know, where can I go as an immigrant, um, uh, you know, um, that <laughs> that's not a third, fourth, fifth generation born into the business where can yeah, i go in, in, the, in the world and and um be in the board of directors of their um of that wine region i don't think i would had, i would ever had the opportunity in bordeaux burgundy champagne rioja tuscany or anywhere any major wine region in the planet by napa valley so um to me um i'm deeply convinced and I believe that it is the greatest wine region out there. I am, I'm, I'm with you. I love it too. Although I also like Oregon. I like the Willamette yeah, Valley. Up and coming. Yeah, you can't. You know, I mean, you can maybe, but um, the you know, Lame is really known for Pinot and Chardonnay. Um, and there are certainly a lot other varietals, but here in Napa we grow countless of varietals. And people think when they think Napa, they think Cabernet, but we got it all. In fact, here the vice wines we make this vintage, we're making uh, 23 different varietals. Yeah, I was going to ask you that. I mean, uh, that that's quite a handful. I mean, how do you handle? How do you do that with all those different? Uh, varieties uh we just do it you know a lot of it is done in small batches so small production wines anywhere between uh, 150 to 300 400 cases for the small batches so we're not making a you know a big amount um just um, a couple thousand bottles um or a few thousand bottles of each batch um, although um, some of the varietals like Cabernet, Pinot Noir, Sauvignon Blanc, uh, those are our core varietals. Um, we do make a um, combine of both of them, a little bit over 20,000 cases of both. Wow. Just, 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 just by the by, we'll just on the way by. You just joined the board of the of the board of directors of the Napa Valley Vintners Association. And yeah. some of your colleagues yeah. on this board, some of your colleagues on this board, are little-known names like Chapelet, uh, 
and uh, Robert, <laughs> Robert Mondavi. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, and and so on and so on and so on. And I I I, I imagine one one of these days your ambition must be to must be to buy the old Inglenook property from Francis Ford Coppola. <laughs> um, I hope so. <laughs> yeah, that'd be nice. We 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 actually were, we were we we were there before before he turned the, uh, the the magnificent wooden structure that is still on the campus. Uh, we, I'm we, sorry. We, yeah. Can you I'm repeat sorry, that, Rabbi? Oh, sure, sure. Well, no, no, I was just I was just giving Malik a target to aim for. And, and there, there's this wonderful, massive wooden building that used to be the winery for Inglenook. And uh, Francis Ford Coppola liked it so much, he decided he would live there. Yeah, I, um, you know, uh, I currently live at the Vice Estate. And, um, you know, it's a beautiful property here in Santa Lina. And uh, we make some estate wine here. Um, we certainly, everything we do is a little bit different than the rest of the valley. Yeah, tell, that, tell us about your differences. Well, one, uh, we make uh, what I believe is the most diverse portfolio of wine in Napa Valley, this vintage 23 different varietals. Two, we break down Napa to the sub-regions that it, that it has. Napa has 15, 16 sub-regions. Uh, we're making wine from 15 out of 16 of the sub-regions of the valley. And uh, lastly, um, we... Um, aim every day to make Napa Valley wine accessible. So it's all about accessibility for us. And, um, you know, we're trying to be humble about our, about our pricing and help uh, wine uh, drinkers, wine enthusiasts to discover Napa Valley um, through the vice like no other brand. How did you pick the name? I'm not sure it's such a great name. <laughs> Well, you know, if you look at, um, for me personally, I could have put my last name on the label, mm -hmm. uh, but I didn't want the the brand to be about me as a person. Most of the uh, wineries here in Napa, or actually around the world, it's someone's uh, first and last name or someone's last name. Um, in Sicily, I, it's named after their mothers. Everything's named after their mothers. <laughs> But I saw the the growth of uh, craft beer, the explosion of craft beer um, during the early last decade. And a lot, I mean, I was tasting a lot of these beers and you really don't know what you're drinking. But what attracts you to a lot of them is actually the, the, the name. Um, and craft beer still has some of the kookiest names out there. Um, <laughs> so... You know, wine is uh, my vice, and Napa is the vice, and there I believe that is a um, is a reality for a lot of uh, wine enthusiasts. So, why not calling yeah. <laughs> calling it what it is? It's the you vice. Know, I, I'd like to mention your your labels. You mentioned it in passing, um, in terms of the name, but I'm looking at a bottle now of Cab sitting on my desk which has this wonderful gold tree. Um, tell us about your labels. 
Yeah, so hey, I designed that label. Um, well, I, I designed the original label um, in 2013 when I was creating the vice. Um, and my wife didn't really like it. She's the one that actually designs all our labels. What oh. she took from my original design was that vine, on the eye on the vice. So she turned that oh, into yeah. our logo, trademarked it, and made it I our uh, our logo. And so, yeah, so I'm looking at the the, the eye and the vice, but also the enlarged um, tree. And it's it's beautiful, very elegant, um, which Thank is, you. I think, what you're going after on um, the character of your wine. Do you think it's you're looking for elegant wines, or what do you look for? In terms of uh, the wine itself? Yes. Um, it's all about balance. You know, elegance is a subjective thing that can be based on a lot of things. I, from, to me, elegance is about balance. And, um, you know, when um, I'm making wine, I try most importantly to make sure that it speaks about the terroir, about where it comes from. Um, all our wines, or the majority of our wines, are uh, single varietal, 100% varietal wines. We don't blend. Um, and we're trying to keep them in their most natural state as possible, unfiltered wines, unfined, no additives, um, no low, nonsense. Low, sulfur, low sulfide. Pure. Let's put that in there. Sulfites naturally occur or happen in wine. Uh, you know, the limit in the United States to, to have in wine is 350 parts per million or 350 milligram per liter. Uh, you know, the USDA for organic wines, the limit is 100. All our wines are under 70. So uh, we, you know, sulfites, if you're shipping wine like we do uh, around the planet, um, you've got to have a little bit just to make sure that it's uh, it's going to travel well and shelf-stable and it's going to arrive to destination um, without, uh, you know, any oxidation or any, um, you know, without without um, the wine changing as much. Um, but there is a big misconception out there about sulfites because um, sulfites in wine are... Um, really minimal compared to other um, consumer um, drinks or products that people consume um, a well, lot uh, lower, actually. I wanted, than, to ask um, you a question. You know, I wanted to ask you a question about, about your wine making that caught my attention because the, 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 the yellow wine, which we'll come back to in just a second, because I want... The orange, you mean. Orange wine, because I want to t talk about that some more. But at the bottom of the sh bottom of the page, it says the Gewurztraminer orange wine is aged for eight months in concrete eggs and stainless stainless steel tanks. Now, the stainless steel tanks, I, I, I can s sort of understand that one, but concrete eggs. <laughs> yeah. So there are these uh, massive uh, structures of concrete. You know, they can be seven feet uh, or bigger or a little smaller uh, structure of a concrete that looks exactly like an egg. 
um, think the of Rebbe, an egg we magnified. saw those. Yeah, Who is the the winemaker in Slovenia? Yeah, yeah. Hold on, I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna answer Anne's question, and and at the same time ask you a question as to whether or not you've you've heard of this gentleman, but this cra- crazy Croatian, I think, would would we call him sweetheart? He didn't he didn't like to talk to journalists like us, but right. but he w- but he was babysitting with his granddaughter at the time we visited, so so we were uh, we were allowed in. But he he did all of the fermentation of his grapes in concrete structures, copied after ones that are used in the f- former region of the of Georgia, in yep. just ju- just off southern Russia, and that that's, yep. that's where that's where that's where he bought his. And I'm wondering if you're doing the same thing, or are you just copying that because it seems like a good idea. No, I everything we do, we we try not to copy anybody. We're trying to be uh, original, and uh, you know, as I said, we're trying to go against the grain and be be uh, be authentic to uh, to who we are. But if you look at um, Georgia, the country, not the state, um, um, that's one of the oldest winemaking regions on the planet. And yes, yes. They've been making orange you know wine the there. Book. There's a whole book about it, you know. Um, do, They've been making... You know, yeah. the, the, um, Georgian wines. Um, what's her name? Al- she, Alice Fearing. Alice Fearing. Fearing. Um, and, and Fearing. She wrote a whole book on that. On Slovenia, I mean, on, I keep saying Slovenia because I was looking up this other guy. Um, uh, the Georgian wines. Do, do you know her at all? No. Yeah, she's. I mean, it'd be really worth your looking up the book. It's like a history of it and everything. Yeah. Um, but I was saying, uh, Georgia is. Uh, you know, they when they. Archaeological evidence shows that we were making orange wine before we were making white wine or red wine. Oh, really? So, um, yeah, and um, um, they uh, they use a lot of amphora, so a lot of uh, clay structures. Uh, the concrete, obviously, no one was doing it before concrete was created. Yeah, what but was the that? concrete is porous. It does let nanoparticles of uh, oxygen in to the wine. Oh, um, so that's why. So it's uh, yeah. it, it helps it um, age and um, softens the acid and develop differently than it would in stainless steel, which is, um, you know, stainless steel does not let any oxygen in whatsoever, and wood would let a lot more oxygen and evaporation than uh, than concrete, but also using concrete um, helps making uh, wine sustainably because it keeps the wine um, in a temperature controlled environment. Even if it's hot outside, the wine inside stays pretty cool. What if you were dealing with concrete eggs or wood? The wood will expand a little, and stainless steel you have to keep it um, you have to keep it cold. So, you know, um, I, I, I just checked. I, I just checked, and the, the Slovenian winemaker we're talking about was uh, Josko Gravner, and he's the one who tore up his whole 
um, his whole um, thing, this whole winery, and, and installed the concrete eggs. Do you know him, yeah. Gravner? No. I'm, uh, honestly, I, um, I, I'm, 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 honestly, I'm not keeping much, um, I don't keep much uh, attention of um, what's happening in um, other places in the world as much as I'm involved right now with my own community. Oh, and, sure, uh, sure, sure. Here in Napa and, um, you know, um, and, um, the, and nationally. Now, um, is your wine hard to obtain? I mean, how accessible? Could, I mean, do you have a, your website? Does it tell you um, how you can acquire it? Or does yeah. it give you a the, shop? Yeah, the vice, T-H-E-V-I-C-E dot com. The vice dot com, very simple. Um, we ship nationally except a couple of states. And... Um, Pennsylvania, one of them. As well. <laughs> um, people never used to ship to Pennsylvania. That's why I asked. <laughs> but yeah, we we're talking. licensed to ship to Pennsylvania and right. um, and so many other states. On top of uh, we also ship to sixty-seven countries. There wow! You go. All right. So, so you've done all right, Malik. <laughs> I mean, you came out of a, a very non-traditional wine background, but you've really done quite well, haven't you? Um, it's. Um, I hope. I. <laughs> I hope I am. Um, I think I wouldn't. Uh, I wouldn't know until I uh, look back um, down the road and um, see what legacy I. Uh, I. Uh, I leave behind. I mean, what is there left for you to do? You have a huge well, um, inventory. There, there is a lot more, honestly, to do, and um, so many things. Um, you know, um, there are so many things, but some of the things are um, um, some of the things are um, you know bringing more people um, that may not have. Um, similar background to the rest of the industry into the industry, people that may not believe that they can have a shot into this industry, um, they certainly have a, a place for them um, in um, in the wine business and here in Napa Valley. That's one thing. And um, another thing is help. Um, um, well, first, I start with Americans, but help Americans drink less but drink better drink better quality wine, and hopefully Great. it's Napa Valley wine, uh, real wine, not formula wines, and um, and also, um, you know, um, help uh, promote and advance Napa Valley on world stage. These are some of my, just some, some of the things I'd love to accomplish in the next uh, few years. Well, you certainly, you're positioned to do just that um, with your your new Board of Directors position and um, the, the, the huge variety of, of wines and the quality of the wine that, that you produce. And the area itself is delightful. Anyhow, I mean, you must enjoy living Thanks. there a lot. Thank you. Yes. 
Well, again, I thank you for taking time to talk to us about your wines. Uh, there are lots more things we could ask you, I'm sure. Um, but listeners, um, uh, we've been talking to Malik and Ronnie, who actually has just um, been elected to the Napa Valley Vintners Board of Directors, and he's the uh, founder and, um, and chief <laughs> of the Vice Wine, uh, and the Vice.com is the website, and I would say check it out. Thank you so much for having me today, and thank you for listening to my story. Uh, Well, I love your story, and and I was really anxious and interested in talking to you about it. Um, So, and and you're a uh, an adventurer as well, and a a risk taker, and I always like people like that. So, continued success to you, Malik, and um, yeah, and. and to congratulate your wife on a really nice design for the labels. Thank you so much. Podcasting services for On The Menu Radio are provided by ASP Station, www.aspstation.net. Yes, we're going to be talking, listeners, to Nicholas Wooler. Now, Nicholas, that doesn't sound very Italian, um, but the, your company is called Pranzo. Yes. Um, so okay. you're, you're, you're right. I mean, my family history is mixed. I was born and raised in Verona, Italy, but oh. on my father's side, the family is from Britain. Um, so I have dual citizenship and... Uh, that's why I have a non-Italian last name, but I was born and raised most of my life in Italy. In Verona? Yes, Verona. Oh, wonderful. We were, in Ver- we were in Verona one time when there was a big wine festival going on. Yeah, actually, Vinitari, that's the largest event, I would say, in Europe for wine aficionados and people from the, uh, the industry, of course. And I think there, I think there was also some singing or some some opera going on. Yeah, yeah. Verona actually is, is is very very famous for that. During the summer season, we have the arena, uh, which is the amphitheater there, that it's very popular for opera singing. Yeah, and it was we we were in Italy regularly, every sometimes twice a year. And I wow. mean, I went to school in Florence. I mean. We we have not been back just because it's got to be such a hassle with the airlines. Have you checked out the prices? It's been uh, harder lately to travel conveniently to Italy. I agree with you. I mean, we, we go regularly as well back, and we have seen over the years a big shift. And then we know all, we all know that once you get there, then it just doesn't end there. It's It's more complicated to travel than might be here in the U.S., so... Mm-hmm. It requires you to move a lot within Europe to see all the important things that we have there. So yeah, yes. cost I mean, has thi- been a struggle. Th- things used things used to happen out of control even before COVID came along. On 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 one of our visits to that included being in Verona, we 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 got to the hotel we were supposedly staying at, and uh, they had no reservation for us. <laughs> 
that's unfortunate. You don't want that to happen to you, right? When you're away from home, <laughs> were you well, able to? Well, they, were, to they, were also, they were also fully booked. <laughs> yeah, well, but yeah, we have right. have lots of the easy travels in in um, Italy, yeah, rather than yeah. being. Yeah, we we have. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Wonderful. It, it's wonderful. Well, we also felt very much at home in Italy, you know, because that's my background, and we spent a lot of time there. So, I, I anyhow, know. we're talking about pranzo. What does pranzo mean in Italian? So, pranzo is the Italian word for lunch. That's what I thought. And why is yeah, that? Is my next question. So it, it may seem uh, something, I mean, it, it's been quite a process for us, really, to go through. It's been an involved process between myself, my partner, and people working in the company because we were trying to come up with something that could become memorable and easy to set, to pronounce, but at the same time would be heavily rooted in what the, uh, the essence of Pranzo is as a, as a brand in itself and what it's going to do with the products that we we have under that brand. And uh, it was interesting that he came up, and at the beginning, he seemed to quite, almost quite to be, I don't know, obvious or, or, or anything like that, but I think the lunch is probably the most important meal uh, mm-hmm. for Italians, for sure, and uh, it really gathers family around the table, but in a more informal way. Dinner would be would probably have different nuances to that. So it can be Maybe. formal and informal, but at the same time, it's the light-hearted, fun meal uh-huh. of the day. At least that's 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 what we all came up to recognize and embed also in the name. Despite for probably most uh, English-speaking consumers, at least at the beginning, uh, the connection won't be as strong. For sure, Pranzo will be something that hopefully they will relate to, and we'll find in Pranzo what you can find in a light-hearted fun uh, family or friendship meal in Italy. Let me, let me how old is let the company? You, let me tell them a little story. Well, come back, come back to me when you're done with Anne's question. I want, I want, I want to tell you a little story about her. Um, yes, well, I, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> I can, I can do that for sure. And it's uh, so especially to do with company. Company, it turns out. Yeah, so the company, the company actually, uh, uh, my partner and I, Alessandro, his name is, we've been working together for for a while. We've been working together almost for 10 years, and we actually became partner in business around 2019, 2020. So we've been working together on other projects as well for, for a while now. Pranzo actually really came to life this summer. That's when we presented it for the first time to the public. It was in New York at the Fancy Food Show. That's when oh, right. we okay. had an opportunity to hatch and be uh, in front of, of, of the audience. The story, uh-huh. the, story behind Pranz, the, the story behind Pranz is quite interesting and actually came to be uh, in order to try to elaborate on where the imported Italian food is today. Uh, here in America, and how people can relate to that, or how people relate to that, in a market that is ever evolving and probably is much different today than how it was when the first Italian imports really became popularized in America, right? And yeah. uh, there's a plethora of Italian or Italian-sounding products in supermarkets, and it's hard nowadays to really make uh, a knowledge distinction between what is good, what is not, what should I buy, what is traditional, what is authentic, 
what is authentic over there, despite what it is presented to be authentic for us over here, and very gray, very gray, large and dull area. So Alessandra and I, we started thinking around if there was anything that could be done uh, in order to solve the problem, where for sure convenience today and ease, simplicity, it's more and more the core of purchasing decisions of everybody uh, when walking a supermarket, but at the same time leveraging that need and giving the new consumers, those that have approached food in a different angle or those that are getting more and more exposed to the fact that there are different qualities of food and you can look for better food, how can we use that simplicity in order to bring something that is really great without getting lost in a huge variety? Right? Uh-huh. Especially because it, it came with the realization that most of the times an Italian meal, it's something that here in America you want to have the chance and you will probably make the chance to really enjoy once, twice a week. It's not an everyday meal, right? Because mm-hmm. the, the great thing I believe that we have here in America is that I can make a great Chinese Monday night. I can make a great uh, <laughs> Mexican night on Tuesday. So your competition is really strong. You're really competing with the best cuisine from all over the world. And you definitely have to step up for what is that you have to offer because quality is there. So that's, that's, that's the old process that was in the back for us. Now let me tell now let me tell you a story. And, yes, sir. And and and, and Peter are having lunch at a, at a restaurant that's on a little pontoon on the Venice Lagoon, and, and, a, and a piece of oh, land called the Isola, Isola Palestrina. So we're, so, so we're having lunch and everything's going fine. And then Peter ne- Peter needed to go to the bathroom. So that, that's a non-consequential thing to have happen. <laughs> but, when I, but, when I, but when I came back, I discovered that our, our wine that we were drinking with lunch had somehow grown. Uh-huh. And it's usually not a problem. In, into, into, a, into a second one, because Miss, Miss Anne had ordered that while I was out of the room. <laughs> It was a funny restaurant. They, they, the, the owners could not be dissuaded from the fact that Anne worked for Bon Appetit magazine. I don't know why they ever figured that out. But, but the, one, the one thing that we did discover was that, I mean, you, you, get, you get to Palestrina, you can get there from a... From a uh, from a, an island that's further to the south, or or or, or uh, you can take the bus to the bus stop and get on, get on the bus and then get off the bus. And we we, we needed to leave. Unfortunately, the the timetable for the buses was on the back of the menu. That's that, that's that's convenience, right? I mean, that's yeah, right. Google ahead of time, right? That was a, a Google before it became of ages, a Google month. <laughs> well, you, you, you want more. It, it turns out that one of the local inhabitants arrived at the restaurant we were dining at at approximately 1.30 p.m., and at 1.31 p.m., lunch arrived. <laughs> and it, 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 
it, it was what, what, what do they call that rice dish love? I've forgotten I, no, not that risotto risotto the, 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 risotto, the risotto came here in time to eat risotto and then he left <laughs> well we've had many adventures in Italy it's always fun everybody's having a good time and but um, so, so back to Pranzo. Um, this this was your first food company. I'm sorry. Was this your first food company? Oh no 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 no! This is not the first food company that I've worked in or for or had. Um, I go back almost 15 years in the food industry, and okay. uh, that's actually uh, Italy is actually where I started. Uh, by myself, and I recently understood that there was a bigger, bigger opportunity to bring uh, Italian food abroad, and I started traveling with food, with Italian food on the my arm very young, at a very young age. And probably that was that exposure that I had since a very early beginning, despite being exposed to Italian food in life, right, because that's mm-hmm. what happens when you live there. But I think that the most interesting and crucial aspect of my relationship with Italian food were, came at the time when I could really bring it out and see not only what Italian food would have, would, could, could have meant for um, people living abroad, but at the same time the influx of foreign, uh, of foreign cultures and the food that foreign yeah. cultures bring forth had on me in terms of having a better understanding of what are the aspects of any food that can make that food meaningful for anybody and everybody. Uh, on the planet, right? Did, did you and ever read... No, yeah, go ahead. Sorry. You, you, you think of it as... You started to I'm say sorry, you think you, of it as... I, 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 I thought you were giving, doing a question, asking a question. No, you, I was starting to ask you. Um, I, I found it quite interesting reading um, Lydia Bastian's book, about Italian American uh, food because it was the first time that I understood what some of the ingredients in the dishes I grew up in an Italian American household uh, actually were substitutes for and then could subsequently yes. taste them in Italy. But it, it's, it's interesting how, how different um, uh, dishes t- changed character with the ingredients available in this country. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And what is even more interesting to me is that anything that we feel that has... Of course, we have the classics, right? Every, I would believe every food culture has classics, at least for the time that we, we roam around, let's say. But what is really interesting is that it's the constant evolution that food has. And even if you look at some Italian staples that everybody considers as being quintessentially Italian nowadays, think about the tomatoes, for example, or the use of potatoes, all of that, if we go back uh, in time, that was very exotic <laughs> for Italy too, right? Right. So I think, I think this, this constant evolution of food uh, is tremendously interesting. And I think that the way it's feeding uh, myself and my partner is uh, there's no probably there's no need to really look for complication or uh, excessive, you know, excessive, excessive research in varieties, but let's, let's try to make things right for what is at the core and let's make sure that we are providing 
anybody. Is he a home cook? Is it mother cooking for their children at night or father for, for that sake? It doesn't matter. Or is it a chef? Is it an institution that is cooking 10,000 meals a day and whatever it is? But if we really can uh, make ourselves uh, endorsed by the fact that we are bringing quality in the source and the basics, the bricks that make up any meal, then at that point you can really leave uh, creativity to do the rest. There's not much that we can do really to control that, uh, I would think, at this point. And that's the beauty of food. I mean, that's what really keeps me in food is the, con- the constant evolution and the different um, influences and influences that you have in, in, in any food culture. And how, how does the European Union, how, how, does, how does that affect a business like yours? So the way the European Union affects our business, I think... What the European Union has done and what Italy has done, since we are mostly, of course, we have a focus on the entire Mediterranean region. Um, I think France can be a brand that over time will be able to grow to include uh, a wider range of products. But what the European Union does in Italy is a big contributor as far as food regulation goes, for example, is to make sure that uh, we have we have strong strong regulations on how we can grow food, um, what, a, what are the characteristics of a food to be called that food without, and, and in that sense, avoiding uh, jeopardization or dilution of concepts related to food into something that maybe is just uh, pushed by uh, eager economics. Um, so that's, that's for sure, you, you're, that's a way Europe helps today. The way Europe has helped in the ages, on the other end, I would say that has been food has always been a, a business card for for anybody traveling across Europe. So the influences, especially Italy, which is a very long stretch country, north from north to south, right. can really gather a lot and uh, use it as you please. And this is more in the finished products, I would say, than in the ingredients, because then in the ingredients, if you stay close to where they're made. They're heavily influenced by uh, how the geography of a place is, right? The, the climate yes. of that area, and that, that's what brings the biggest uh, influx uh, of, of on the ingredients. But the use that the entire European community can make of food is really interesting and is pushing people to do some innovation or exploring new paths and so on. Yeah, the... Uh, the the explosion of Italian food culture has affected the, um, the regionalization of specific dish- dishes as I recognize it. Um, it's not been totally melded into a singular cuisine, but a lot of the, the traditional regional dishes uh, have been modified, um, not modified, but been made more of a generalized if you know what I mean. The, the, the more specific um, dishes of certain regions um, have gone not quite into the forefront as they used to yes. be. And, uh, uh, I mean, I don't know if, if that's because of an international focus or the European Union or, or what's caused that travel probably, I guess, huh? 
do you I, I, I wouldn't I wouldn't blame the European Union because if you travel back to Europe and you get the chance to go off the beaten path all those regional foods you can still find uh-huh. and uh, I believe there's a generational issue that I believe Italy is facing now where this is a idea where younger generations are because they have to work more and they're spending less time at home cooking, they have less time to really um, absorb those traditions and as a consequence of that, being able to carry them over, even though I would say that it might be too soon for that because at the same time you have uh, counterclock movements where it's actually the really younger generations that have a better understanding on how making make a brand of themselves or having uh, a, 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 a great uh, skill in using modern technologies where they're actually bringing certain traditions back to the front in a modern way, uh, which makes me think sometimes that perhaps the risk has been almost avoided because of that. Without technology, probably would have been because there was no way for uh, people also to bring this up front. But the tradition related around around food is so strong in Italy that I don't see this going away. Yeah, a different, they, uh, a different. I heard some wonderful stories about uh, when when Massimo Bottura, who's, who's a friend, uh, was mm-hmm. experimenting in uh, in Modena uh, with modernizing um, what's the, the food, and the, the old, the, I mean the the, the, the natives went up in arms as he should mess with the traditional recipes. I mean, yeah, there's a bit of resistance to change, but I praise the, the work he does. Because the oh, way he's does wonderful. it, have you, the way he does it. Have you, by the way, been, been, been able to catch the program about discovering Italy by Stanley Tucci? Not yet, not yet. I've seen he popped up on uh, on uh, some streaming, right? I believe it's either Netflix or something like that. I didn't have a chance yet to dig into it. I think you would find I think you would find it absolutely fascinating. I, I certainly yeah. found it, found it fascinating. My my partner in crime for, for some reason doesn't want to watch that particular program. I I don't really know why. So I think it's really good. <laughs> I mean, I, it's 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 good, but I, I'd rather just be there wandering and wandering, oh, yeah. particularly yeah, off the beaten yeah, well. path myself. Um, well, yes. But, yeah. So, but uh, no, we've we've traveled quite a bit off the beaten path, um, and um, we had some interesting experiences I never was aware of. The variety available in Abruzzo, for example. Yes. Uh, or, or yeah. um, there are there are other aspects. You know, so going there. Going back to your question, I think going there, you have an opportunity to find this. Now, when it comes to having all that richness and all that variety equally available here, for example, there are two there are two there are two things there. The major one is most of the times they may still rely on ingredients, but they are very hard to produce in large scale and sometimes uh, commercialize. 
uh, think about some cheeses or preserves. It's an extremely laborious process uh, to be able to put a product like that into a manufacturing pipeline and making it available to right. a wider market. And, uh, on the, and on the other side, sometimes these are treasures that are uh, secretly kept by very few, and uh, uh, it might be one or two trattoria in a very little corner in Italy, and then you would have to take them off their roots and bring them over in order to have that cultural uh, uplifting which it requires a lot. So that's why I believe there, are some, uh, there is some struggle in having all the different varieties available here. I think that one maybe... And, 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 yeah. Your one, your one goal with Pranzo is what? Is, is to kind of um, direct uh, the perception and experience of, of, of real Italian foods? Yes. So the idea of Pranzo is to uh, start from the product, so that's, that's where we started. So before we think who we're going to sell this to, what it's going to look like, what the name will be, Alessandra and I said we have to make sure that we have product that it is good, that it is endorsed, and can, on the long run, made available to a larger audience in America, and we have to find it in Italy. So we started from products. It's been over 18 months research process, and uh, it may not seem a lot, but for... Uh, two like that, like us that have been almost 20 years in the industry and we navigated the industry wide and deep, uh, knowing a lot of connections and having an opportunity to really uh, sort through many great companies in Italy. For us, 18 months, it was totally required in order to make sure that we tasted and tried all the food and made sure that we were working with, uh, with great products. So that was the first thing. And then then one, once that it, it came available and we understood and determined that it was possible, we saw the opportunity for Pranzo to do what it's meant to do, which is let's elevate, let's start from elevating uh, the cooking experience for anybody uh, that is willing to do a great uh, pasta meal on a Thursday night, for example. And let's give them the, the guarantee that the pasta or the sauce or the olives or the olive oil that they're going to use to cook that meal is exactly what they would have an opportunity to get if they were in Italy and uh, to, make, to have it an authentic experience. And well, that I mean, was, you, that you do a great fun. job on that because, I mean, I, I honestly, um, I, I taste your, I'm very, very fussy about um, Pasta sauce, for example, and I loved yours. I loved it. Uh, it reminded me of all my relatives, you know, my aunts and and my mother, and my grandmother, the the sauce that they made. And I, I mean, it this means a lot. It means really a lot to us because uh, coming from your experience, I mean, this 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 is a big accomplishment for. It's already a big accomplishment for us in a way because uh, if it comes through so clearly. I think we are on, on a good thing, you know. Well, I don't think I, I mean, we've, we've tasted a whole bunch of your products now, and uh, I've loved them all. Now, I, I have a limited, um, a, a limited uh, ability to deal with the Calabrian peppers, <laughs> <laughs> but I have no doubt that they're probably very authentic. It's just that they're really hot. <laughs> 
yeah, that's that's one either you love or you it's a, or you will acquire the taste to love it. That's that's how I say it. And I saw it in my son, for example, he's ten, and of course, usually ten years old and not really into spicy food. And I and I started with him, you know, try a little bit, try a little bit, and now he seems to really like it. So uh-huh. just talking about yeah, because you wouldn't be. Is, yeah, the, it's, it's, uh, you wouldn't be the um, uh, that experienced with Calabrian spice, would would you? In Verona, you wouldn't be. Ex- no, we wouldn't. No, we're not. And that's the beauty of being f- from here. We have a better perspective. Uh, I guess when you are afar, you see a country much smaller than it actually is. So you take the courage to really look at it all as on a whole thing and really uh, exploring the whole of it instead of, you know, being uh, in, in your used corner of northeast Italy. And uh, since there is so much already that you can enjoy, sometimes you don't even think that uh, you could really find as good as you have around you anywhere uh, in Italy, basically. Of course, we well traveled over there. We spent time in vacation runs, so we knew that. But what you say is, uh, is accurate. Most of the times, if you live in Italy and you are in Italy, you know very well what's around you. You love it. And sometimes you don't even go too much far beyond that to find out what's niche or what's very specific to certain other uh, other regions uh, of I, Italy. But, um, and is your goal to cover all the different um, regions or what in your product? So uh, we, we haven't, we haven't uh, thought of it as a regional project uh there are we're, we're driven by a few things today so the, the, the first one i said is quality and the quality of of the product <clears throat> the second will is going to be the simplicity and uh trying to make uh the process of making a decision of what brand can i rely when i do a shopping for italian food that's the second thing we will be focused on the reason the way we we're going to try to do that will be making simple solutions for common problems nowadays. Like, for example, going into a Walmart or any other store where most consumers shop on a regular basis because that's the convenience for them to have a run there. And you enter into the pasta aisle, just to give you an example, and you have 30 feet of pasta, 30 feet of a red wall <laughs> full of sauce, and you just wander around. And so... It's not a it's, it's not an easy job, and we understand that. But if we can, I think that the biggest uh, satisfaction we can get out of the project that we were starting to work on, uh, we just started working on, is to have something that people can recognize as a brand that they can go back to when they want right. to find that convenience and the easy and simple approach to. A, pas, uh, a spaghetti meal, you know, a spaghetti al pomodoro. And then, and that's, that would be the best quality they can get, and we're trying to make that also on an affordable level. We're not even one willing to become an exclusive. Uh, quality of food does not have to be exclusive. It's not like that in Italy. I, 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 hardly, I hardly believe in the concept that, um, that Italian food has to be expensive. I mean, sushi can be expensive, has to be. Expensive. Oh, yeah, <laughs> sushi. Uh, French, uh, French cuisine, certain preparation you have there, they're tremendously laborious. They require a huge amount of skill to accomplish. That has to be expensive. But good Italian food and good Italian ingredients, they have to be in reach from, uh, from a regular use. 
that's 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 how that's why Italian cuisine is so popular. That's why Italian food is so democratic too in Italy. It's not something mm-hmm. that it's making a, um, a demographic distinction. It's it's for everybody. It's good and it's good for everybody. So that's that's something that we truly believe for what we do with Pranzo too. Well. I mean, how many products do you have so far? So currently we have 20 items, and we have uh, eight pastas. We have pasta sauce. This is another challenge we're trying to think of and trying to take. Uh, 80%, even more, just all the red sauces that you can find in a supermarket, usually they work on uh, tomato base which is common across the board. And then all the different varieties you have, uh, usually you can have uh, better or worse ingredients. You have more or less additives, and then you have some characterizing ingredients. It could be you know, cheese or more onions or more eggplants or other herbs and so forth. So since we're trying to have a basic approach and we're trying to give some uh, consumer a tool that they can work with, we went with one marinara, which is that, that, that is the five-minute uh, take-to-a-simmer or warm-up sauce that you can uh, put on your spaghetti and have a meal. And that's the only one we're bringing. And then since we were very related to the tradition and so forth, we said we can also have a very good strained tomato sauce. And that's our passata. And the reason why, and there's more distinction there, think about it, then there is between any marinara and all the other marinara varieties that are there. It could be arrabbiata, bolognese, which is meat, yeah, probably that's right. one that differs the most, and or eggplant marinara and all of that. And passata is more of an ingredient. So you, the marinara, you can use it with a stew if you, uh, you want to do it, or you can use it right. for any preparation that requires tomato at that point. But we're going to bring a very good tomato, a very high-quality tomato, also from an ingredient standpoint. That's tomato sea salt that we have in that passata. And there's only one way to accomplish quality in a finished product, and it's working with quality, quality ingredients. Great. So we have, the, we have the pastas, we have the pasta sauces, we have olive oil, we have olives. Um, we have vinegar, and we have it in the version of a uh, aceto balsamico, balsamic vinegar of Modena, and the glaze which uh, has popularized uh, more on-the-go use as a sauce or topping for something that usually is more used as a condiment, uh, which is the, the, the balsamic. And then we have Taralli, which is a new product to American consumer. I wouldn't say brand new. Of course, Taralli have been in the market, but I don't what think they are as popular. Taralli. What? It's a bagel. It's a bagel cracker, a mini bagel, ba- a mini bagel Italian cracker, um, and this is something that would accompany any charcuterie board or snack. It's a wheat-based uh, cracker, Italian cracker, in the shape of a little ring. I, I ate all that bag by myself. I think <laughs> <laughs> they are very. They I, I don't hear Peter saying, but he does. I don't think Peter's recognizing me. He never forgot to taste it. <laughs> yeah, they were wonderful. I never, I they never tend to be quite addictive. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I kept the bag right there so that when you walk by, you just reach your hand. 
<laughs> yes. Well, you're doing a great job, and um, I, I I just see a great future for the brand name, and um, it, it, I don't know how you're related to the um, the, the other brand, uh, WNS, is it? But uh, you have your own website, Pranzo.com. It's eatpranzo.co, that's the website. And uh, the, the, the relationship between, uh, it's one company. The company, the company is W&S Foods Company. That's it. And that works as a holding company. And then under that operation, we run the brand, Pranzo, which is owned by W&S Foods. And then we have another brand, which is Noka, and that's, a brand that is only dedicated and works only for potato gnocchi, which is uh, another project, very interesting project, has different characteristics than Pranzo, maybe worth a separate phone call for the lengthiness of that topic, too, I guess, because that's a whole different project than uh, Pranzo. And that's, that's yeah. what we've been doing. So talking on a little higher ground, uh, I think Alessandra and I, my partner, we came to the point where there's a bigger opportunity in spending uh, time and thoughts in really getting to the bottom of what is really meaningful when you're sitting around the meal. And uh, if it belongs to a place where it has not had the chance to become popularized yet here in America, uh, find, find a way to make it more viable uh, to be a friendlier pick and to be something or someone because then brands really have that beauty that they can they can uh, take life uh, someone that can walk you know besides a consumer and say okay when you're looking for a good pasta uh, is it for yourself is it for friends is it for your family uh, hopefully we will not let you down that's 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 the idea I'm sure, I'm well, sure, I'm sure you won't, I'm sure you won't let us down <laughs> I think if you, if you found a way to watch that Stanley Tucci program, I'm, I'm sure you would. I'm sure you would enjoy it. Just I, 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 I will definitely look. Just as much as we have enjoyed talking to you and about your great adventure. Thank yeah, you. I'm, I'll Thank be you. following you, Nicholas. Will, I mean, I will follow you, the development of your company faithfully. I'm I'm sold. <laughs> and you got a fan hard. base right here. <laughs> that's 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 great. Very honored about that. Well, I thank you for taking the time. You so much on your plate. Um, for taking the time to talk to us, and uh, hopefully we can uh, stay in touch and. You keep us up to date on new developments with the company because I see it, it having a much greater reach than, than where you are now at this point. So thank you, thank good you. Luck. And, uh, I would definitely, we would definitely love to stay in touch and uh, share any Please updates do. and maybe some comments about this new series that is on uh, on stream now, so we can have a conversation about that too. <laughs> Great. <laughs> okay. All right. Thank you so much. Thank Again, you. the Thank company, look, listeners, look for pranzo, which means lunch, but it really means so much more in terms of this particular brand. Thank you again, Nicholas. Thank you. Have a wonderful day. You too. Bye-bye.